For everyone out there thinking about starting a podcast, let me tell you this. When we switched to remote podcasting six years ago, it was a headache. Multiple pieces of software, inconsistent sound quality, and honestly, nearly impossible to bring in guests, let alone record video. Then we discovered Zencaster. Zencaster gives us studio quality recording, including video up to 4K and distribution to podcast players that support it. We've consolidated our podcasting efforts, doing everything from recording to publishing in a single platform. And now having guests on has become a breeze. Zencaster is about making the podcasting experience as easy as possible, including local recording, automatic post-production, which we love, and no outside software needed to record and publish an episode. I honestly cannot imagine recording remotely without Zencaster. So if you're interested, go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use our code BGA. You'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. We want you to have the same easy experience we do for all our podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. Podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode number 400. We like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you 400 amazing episodes. All right, friends, we are back and we are back with episode 400. Anthony, in all of your days, years, hours, and minutes podcasting, did you ever think we'd actually hit 400? No, no, you kept saying it. The 300s were a slog. So, I mean, we love the episodes. It's not that part. It's just the number that we put in front of it. It's like, why aren't we at 400 yet? Now we are. <laughs> yeah, It is amazing. Was... It's crazy. It's, it's, yeah. been, it's been a long road. 300 was rough. 300... <laughs> 300 to 399 was very rough. It's been it's been a rough time. It's been a lot of changes. This episode's a little late. That's on me. Been moving back and forth. Just moved again. So a lot happening in the world. A lot happening in board gaming. A lot happening with us. And somehow we kept it together. And we got to episode 400. So I don't know. It feels good. It feels like now we can put the 300s behind us. Now we're at a, a really good good place kind of plateaued cleaned out from those past years things are looking a little better a little evener the industry is coming back in a real meaningful way we feel good about gaming there's a lot of good gaming coming up we'll talk about in a minute pax unplugged will be going to so really excited about that this later this week so there's a lot of reasons to be excited about board gaming and having done 400 episodes we can tell you it's had its ups and downs, but going forward, it looks like it's all going to be up. Oh yeah. No, it's amazing. You know, and it's, it's tough. You know, you know, we say the 300s were tough, but like those were COVID years, right? <laughs> so, um, 
you know, the COVID years are tough on everybody for a billion reasons. Of course. Uh, so board gaming, of course, falling victim to that as well. Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited for 400 just because, yeah, like you said, we're moving forward. We're getting out in the world. Like we're starting like episode 400 and then we're immediately going to a convention. Uh, one of our favorites. So yeah, it's going to be real good. Yeah. The holidays are upon us. The big black Friday, cyber Monday sales are past us, but there'll probably be a lot more sales and great opportunities to purchase the best coming up. And of course, now as we're at episode 400, now we can look forward to episode 500 because <laughs> we'll get there eventually. So that's, that's a really fun climb, right? 400 yeah. to 500, hitting 500 episodes would be amazing. And again, thank you, every single one of you, all of our friends out there who are listening to the episodes each and every week, supporting us every way in any way that you can. It means so much to us. Big thanks to our Patreon backers. We wouldn't be able to financially do this without you. Thank you to all of our people who are downloading, listening, and especially those who share, whether it's on social media or for your friends, getting board gaming out to the table. You are one of us. You mean the world to us. So for this episode, episode 400, because it has those double zeros, Anthony, it's another BGG Board Gamers Anonymous Top 100 Games of All Time for us. But for us, kind of, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and again, because it's an episode we want you to listen to and not fall asleep to, we've decided to do each of our top 50s. So technically, that's a top 100. And it's going to be the top 50. But the bottom 50, Anthony, that's going somewhere, right? Yeah, so you have a couple options if you want to know the rest of our top 100 lists. You can hop on over to the website uh, in a week or two when I get these all up. And we'll have our, our top 100 games of all time is always on the website. And whenever we do a new one on the podcast, we update the website to reflect that. So you can go through there. You can read our comments. The full 100 for both of us will be there. But we're also going to record the bottom 50, so 51 to 100. And we're going to have that on our Patreon. So if you are a Patreon backer, you can hop in there and you can basically get one gigantic bonus episode or two smaller bonus episodes, depending on how I feel like uploading it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and you can listen to the rest and we'll, we'll go through them all um, the same way that we're doing this today. So uh, lots of ways to get in there and, and experience the top 100 in, in its totality. But yeah, for today, we're going to keep it to 100 total games, each of our top 50 keep the episode somewhat manageable for everybody absolutely and again these are the top 50 we have not and anthony i know this is surprising to you me both and everyone out there we have not played all the board games out there in the world no no <laughs> so there's a good a very good chance if you don't hear the game that you love and you think should be in our top 100 more than likely it's because we haven't gotten a chance to play it yet so we definitely want your feedback from this episode. Please hit us up. Let us know if there are games that we did not get to the table that we should certainly get to the table so we can get on the top 100 list because we would love to do that because the only thing worse about having a top 100 list is not having the top 100 games of all times on it because you haven't played it yet. And mm. we definitely want to play it. Yes. Yes, that's true. I have this thought every time we do this list. I'm like, what games that I haven't played that have been out for a while would be on this list if I played them. And then I go sure. down this big rabbit hole and then I pull myself out and just get the list done. So, 
Yeah, I mean, there is something about a list that's somehow self-selective, right? Like, there's mm-hmm. a reason why these games have come across our table. And I know in the recent holiday shopping thing where it's like, hey, this game's on sale. I'm like, I have never heard of this game. There's probably a good reason for that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and again, we'll be at PAX Unplugged. So by the time you hear this episode, you might be at PAX Unplugged. Or you might be traveling to PAX Unplugged. Or you might be thinking about PAX Unplugged. So there's a lot of PAX Unplugged stuff happening in your head. Or maybe this is the first time you're hearing about PAX Unplugged, which is a big board game convention in Philadelphia. And it's upcoming this weekend that you listen to the episode. So we'll be there. So maybe there might be some more great games there that might make our next top 100 list. Historically, yes. We've had some really good PAXs where we find lots of good games. So uh, we'll, we're going to do this list. And then by next week, we're like, ah, oh, I got to update the list again. <laughs> <laughs> so you might you might have a couple of games sneaking on there as honorable mentions. But we'll, we'll certainly have our PAX hotness episode for the next one so if you if you're not going to make it to pax and you want to know what the best games are there we'll let you know at the next episode because we'll be playing them and then we'll let you know about all that fun stuff and then we'll lament the fact that they didn't play them earlier because they could have made the top 100 list and dear god have i lived my life this long without those games and you know how can i go on now that i played that game but for some reason can't get it because it's not published in the u.s and therefore my life is over sounds about right the usual, you know, the usual for Board Gamers Anonymous. Yeah. So, Anthony, with all of that said, our feature review is our top 100 list. So we'll be going through our top 50. And again, as you mentioned, the top 50 is the best games of all time from us, as we've said it, as it's been said, written, and, you know, publicized and published. Therefore, it is the definitive list, Anthony, right? The definitive list. The only list. That's the only list it- possible. Yes. Yeah. No, if if you're listening to this, these are the only games you should play. (laughs) So with all of that said, Anthony, and since it is, you know, the definitive list, let's start with your number 50. All right. My number 50 is First Class All Aboard the Orient Express from Helmet Ole. Uh, This is at the time we called it Russian Railroads, the card game. It's a little bit of that. But it's it's a it's a cool tableau builder in which you're building out these different trains and then you're moving down um, with your you're taking tickets and, and you can move in different directions, um, either out with the trains or up on the, the travel path. Uh, lots of fun, cool combos to make here. Uh, from somebody who makes train games exclusively, this is the most board gamey of the bunch. And it's unfortunately out of print right now, but <sighs> remains one of my favorite card games. Excellent choice. My number 50 is a new game that I was able to get to the table, played a bunch of times, enjoy a great deal, have not been able to get a game myself because it's been out of print, will come back into print pretty soon, and it had a little bit of a, you know, probably a high-level price tag from all of its fun stuff. This was a surprising game from Breaking Games. This is Dwellings of Eldervale. This was the really well-produced game that had really amazing inserts and setups had all of these different elemental characters that you could play, but a very simple boiled down kind of forex game where you're exploring, you're expanding, you're exterminating, you're picking up magical powers based upon how you conquer certain lands and you pick up certain magical abilities. You're scoring points based upon that particular element. It's fun. It's fast. It's accessible for a lot of people and generally, that's what you want for this type of game. Not to mention the plastic miniatures with their little sound bases is 
so unusual that it has to be heard to in really appreciate. <laughs> That's my number 50, Anthony. Dwellings of Eldervale. Ah, very good game. Um, it's on my list later. So, Ooh. yeah. Uh, my number 49 is London, second edition. This is a Martin Wallace game. Um, and this is specifically the second edition released by Osprey Games in 2017 in the little kind of cool book uh, box. Um, it's a tableau builder in which you're laying out these different cards that represent locations in the city of London. And then you have to run your city. And the more locations you have, the more of these bad tokens, as you generally have in Martin Wallace games, the poverty tokens that you will develop. So it's a matter of managing your tableau, managing the actions, and managing the different cards you pull in there with the, the various points that you're achieving and possibly losing, like any good Martin Wallace game. So uh, one of the best, and again, second edition better than the first edition, gets rid of the board, streamlines a lot of things. Very nice. My number 49 game is uh, the re-release from Roxy Games. This is Martin Wallace's, I guess it's become his magnus opus recently, Brass Birmingham. It's all about building networks and growing industry and navigating the Industrial Revolution. This was a game that initially fell flat for me, at least the, the original version of it, the Lancashire version, even prior to that, the generic, generic, generic version. Despite our friend Dave's best efforts, it just did not land with me. The new revised versions, especially this Birmingham version, with beer and all the kind of open ports and opportunities to kind of sell goods, made this game phenomenal. I know this game is on everyone's list, and it's certainly on mine. Still looking to pick it up. Brass Birmingham. All right. Another one that's on my list later. Ooh. <laughs> on a roll, man. Uh, number 48 for me, Civilization A New Dawn, designed by James Niffen. This is a fantasy flight game. Uh, this is a... Civ Light is what we'll call it. So it's a two to four player game in the Civilization video game IP in which you have a cool card mechanic that has now been used by Arc Nova. So everybody knows it um, of the further to the right your cards are, the more powerful they are for the action that you take. It's not quite a 4X, but it has a lot of the elements of Civilization baked in. And the expansion uh, really helps elevate it as with most uh, Fantasy Flight games. So Terra Incognita. Um, Great game. One of my favorite quick, light civilization games. Nice. My number 48 is the re-implementation upgrade from Race for the Galaxy. It is Roll for the Galaxy from Thomas Lehman. This was really an innovative, fun, dynamic way to play Race for the Galaxy, but with dice. And with really nice artwork and tile pieces that actually allowed you to build out your universe some updated rules and skill sets. It has multiple expansions. Some expansions are essential, others not so much. But overall, it's a fun, fast game that everyone can play at the table. And it really takes the best from Race for the Galaxy and puts it in a form that is just truly dynamic and a thing to behold at the table. That is my number 48 game, Roll for the Galaxy. Great game. Uh, all right, my number 47, Leaving Earth. This is from designer Joseph Fatula, uh, and it's a self-published game about launching rockets into space. Um, very math-heavy, very uh, simulation-esque, but it's a lot of fun, right? It's about planning and managing risk, which doesn't sound fun on the surface, and if you really don't like math in your games, this is not a game for you. It's also really I would say best at one, maybe two players. Um, it's a lot to do and a lot of overhead if a lot of people are playing. Um, but as a solo experience, as a puzzle, as this kind of big giant math 
research space flight puzzle, especially with the expansions mixed in, leaving Earth is a blast. Um, a blast. Uh, so that's why it's my, my number 47. Excellent. My number 47 is going to be a surprise for a lot of people, but I think you'll get it once you hear the rest of the list, is Dominant Species. Now, Dominant Species from Chad Jensen, rest in peace, did an absolutely amazing job creating the definitive, in my opinion, board game, right? Again, the idea of Cones of Dunsher from off, you know, from Parks and Rec, the idea of cubes and cones and hexes, and like, it's the most abstracted board game quintessential experience that you can have from GMT games, and yet it's so rich and full of life, no pun intended, as you build up your dominant species, all these species expanding based upon these special abilities that they get, how they can eat, how they can grow, and how you take out each other. And yet at the same time, it has a lot of that take that kind of element to it. So it's not a just dry kind of solo Euro. There's a lot of dynamic gameplay in here. So if you've never played it, you owe it to yourself to play my number 47th game, Dominant Species. Absolutely. Make that a play it at least once. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, number 46 for me is Heaven and Ale. This is designed by Michael Kiesling and Andreas Schmidt. And it is a relatively... It's considered midweight in the Euro train, but this is one of those midweight Euros that a lot of people get tangled up with in the math. Um, in it, you are monks brewing beer, and you move around a rondelle, you pick up tiles, you place them on your own personal board, has a light side and a dark side, and where you place that tile in relation both to the side of the board, but also the location will determine what you get from it. You're trying to increase the value of all these different ingredients and move up your brewery track um, and of course, you need money to continue to do that. A lot going on here, a lot to manage. It's a really satisfying puzzle um, and just a fun theme, especially with the artwork that they've they've used here. So, heaven and ale. Nice. My number forty six game is an interesting take on building human towers. This is Castell. It's a it's a folk tradition in Catalonia, in which people, these kind of gymnast acrobat teams, get together in order to build these impressive human towers, to tour all these different areas. It's not just an interesting kind of dynamic, but it's a really fun mechanical game. You have a little interesting rondelle, and you're also picking up these different people to build your tower from these different areas. So as the game goes on, it's not just about visiting these different locations. It's also about being able to manage this little tableau of people that you're building up to a tower. Different areas need different towers. A lot of fun, dynamic, Castell. Love stacking those people. Uh, number 45 for me, Lorenzo Il Magnifico. This is designed by Flaminia Brassini, Virginio Gili, and Simone Luciani. And so, again, apologies to our Italian listeners. Um, uh, this is a, a game of card. I always say drafting. It's not drafting. You're buying the cards, but there's a there's a market of cards. You're pulling those out. But the main thing here is that you have a shared pool of dice that are the workers here. So that makes it interesting. It's worker placement with dice, but everybody has the same numbers to work with. Um, very, very tight. Very, very restrictive, just like I like my Euros. Um, and with the expansions, really elevate the game quite a bit. Make it more complex, more interesting. The opening is more interesting with the draft. Um, one of the better Euros out there at this weight and uh, a classic that stays on my shelf to this day. Absolutely. So 
my number 45 game is a solo game. Now, it's not just solo, because you can play with a lot of people, but this was my solo experience over the last year or so. And the game that I always come to when I want to play something solo, but something truly dynamic and innovative. This is Uwe Rosenberg's At the Gates of Loyang. So what we're managing here is a vegetable market. It allows you contract completion throughout the game, but a lot of different ways. So you can complete the small contracts, the ongoing contracts. You're growing vegetables in your garden, and you're trying to keep up with the competitors throughout, or you're playing your solo element. It's really fun and dynamic, and for me personally, At the Gates of Loyang is Uwe Rosenberg's top solo game. Yeah, I'm, I'm down with that. <laughs> um, this is on my list, but not in the top 50. So you'll gotcha. have to you'll have to go to Patreon to see where the number it falls on. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, all right. Next up for me, number 44 is Castles of Burgundy, the card game. Ah. Uh, I always loved Castles of Burgundy, and I, I was skeptical of the card game. But it turns out it works pretty well. Uh, Feld manages to turn every component in the game into a card which is all laid out in front of you in this giant tableau. <laughs> so it does take up a lot of space, um, but it works really well. Like the you have dice represented by cards, you have a whole table represented like what's available for you and you're building out your tableau um, rather than your boards. Uh, solo game works really well. It moves very quickly and you're trying to compete against this AI. It's, it's a fun, quick game that I do bring with me when I travel, even though it takes up a ton of space because the box itself is very small. Mm. So it's Castles of Burgundy, the card game. This is somewhere on my list. I won't say if it's bottom 50 or top 50. You'll have to Ooh, figure it out. Can we sneaky? <laughs> my number 44 game is, for me, a modern-day classic. I played it a lot. I picked up the expansion at great risk. And it's a game that's being reprinted. So you can pick up the new version. This is Kingsburg. Kingsburg was one of my first major like purchases in my collection. It's all about rolling dice and the dice placement based upon the pips on your dice to activate the different people in the king's court so that you can get resources. And then you take those resources and you move down to your own personal tech tree, loving the tech trees. There you're able to build up additional resources, defend your castle versus all the baddies that come at the end of the, the season, I guess during the, during the winter kind of attack because winter's coming and it's just so much fun and so much, you know, different dynamics that come into play with the expansion you pick up the new version, you get everything all in one, but the original is still the best for me, especially with the artwork. That's Kingsburg. Kingsburg is a great game. Yep. Uh, number 43 for me, the Battle of Five Armies. Ooh. This is the Hobbit version of War of the Ring, which comes later <laughs> on my list. Um, but in it, you're playing out the climactic battle of the Hobbit. Um, so you have the elves, the dwarves, the men, um, all, all going up against the wolves, goblins, bats. Um, they all come together in that final battle. And it, so it's a lot more tactical. It's a little bit shorter. It's a lot more accessible. Um, it's still only two players, and it can still take three or four hours. So take those things with a grain of salt. But for any Tolkien fan, especially War of the Ring fan, this is the complement to that game, Battle of Five Armies. Yeah, it's on my list too. Won't tell you where. This list, Ooh, next list, yeah, it's, it's around. It's somewhere. My number 42 game is, again, for me, one of the classic Stefan Feld games that has not garnered the interest that it deserves. This is Bora Bora. It's about making really interesting and difficult decisions on these island paradise. One of the things I really love about this game is the opportunity to pick your own endgame bonuses. You get a bunch to start with, and as the game goes on, you keep adding more throughout. 
a lot of ways to build up the island, to build up your different collections, to put your people at work. And it's just a really fun, interesting game from Stefan Feld. Uh, it's something that definitely gets a play. Maybe we'll see that, you know, it gets reused or re-implemented in some other way and in some sort of city. But right now, number 42, Bora Bora. All right. Uh, next up for me, number 42, The Magnificent. Uh, this is designed by Elif Svensson and Christian Amundsen Oatsby. <laughs> um, they previously designed Santa Maria. And this game uses some of those same mechanics. So there's still tile laying going on here. There's dice that are used to purchase things. Um, but the theme here is really a big part of it for me. It's it's this dark night circus, all these different performers putting on shows. Everything's bright and vibrant and colorful and neon. Um, the expansion adds some really interesting like lighter elements, the snow expansion. Um, but it's dice drafting with polyominoes right there. I was sold. And the game itself really comes together brilliantly as a result. Um, it's not out of print yet. I have a feeling it will be soon because they're really trying to sell everything off. So get it while you can. The Magnificent. Excellent. Well, my number 41 game is a big, sprawling, plastic on the table Simon game from Eric Lang. It is Rising Sun. Uh, this is the medieval, mystical, monstrous game of your clan trying to take over the lands of Japan, and it utilizes so many different aspects to it. Some actually traditional and mythological, and some not so much. But nonetheless, it has some really interesting mechanic. There's some bluffing that goes along in the game. There's some negotiation, but primarily it's a war game. It's an area control game. There's a lot of auctioning going on in the game, a lot of different skills and abilities to add to your particular clan in order to make them truly unique. The board looks fantastic. The miniatures are great. It's truly dynamic. A lot of ways to kind of, you know, re-innovate and play the game. It's great. Number 41, Rising Sun. All right. Uh, number 41 for me is Caverna, the Cave Ooh. Farmers. Uh, this is the game that showed me that I like Ove Rosenberg games. Um, because the only one I played before that was Agricola, which famously I don't like. Um, but Caverna is fantastic, right? It's a big, sprawling, almost not quite sandbox worker placement. There, it still has the kind of things broken down by turn. Uh, but so many options, so many tiles you can pull together, so many different paths to victory, so much stuff in the box. Um, just a great big box of fun if you like worker placement. And uh, still one of the games that I go to um, when that's what I'm looking for, when that's the experience that I want. So Caverna, Cave Farmers. That's on my list as well. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> my number 40 game is, well, I gotta say it, Blood Rage. <laughs> <laughs> the Eric Lang game that kind of launched Simon as far as, I know there was Zombicide, but this was the truly wondrous mechanical drafting game with miniatures on the board that was not just a miniatures game. It was so much more than that. Just the monsters and everything are just like fun, but the gameplay is really interesting and dynamic. And it's been something that I played online. It's I played multiple versions of this. They've had the, you know, the different expansions that come into play. This has just earned a spot. It's just, it's become a modern day classic for me. And it's something that I'm always willing to get to the table. So why not? Number 40 is blood rage. Get rising sun and then blood rage back to back. Blood rage. Love it. <laughs> 
All right. Uh, so for me, I'm going to get into the first, at least in this 50, of my Vitala Serta games, uh, Kanban EV. This is uh, recently released in 2020, the re-implementation of the Driver's Edition, which basically is the same, but with electric vehicles instead of gas vehicles. Um, but it's you're running a factory. You're building cars. You're pulling parts together. You're testing them. You're putting them out there to get to sell. Um, it's just a really interesting, tightly designed, fun logistics game, <laughs> uh, which if you're listening to this, you're into that. Uh, Kanban <laughs> EV is one of Vitala Serta's best games and one of my favorites of his. Nice. That's also my list as well. Exciting. All right. My number 39 game is Coimbra. This is a game that's all about spreading influence across the monasteries of Portugal, about the great universities there. And again, it's about interesting dice placement. So you roll your dice, and the dice have a lot of different aspects to it to come into play. So the pips are going to come to play. The color is going to have come into play. And based upon when you play the dice and the cards that you have in your tableau, they're going to activate in a whole number of different ways. It's so much fun to be able to build your own scoring engine throughout the game. The game has really interesting and dynamic artwork and color throughout. A lot of fun to get to the table. My number 39 game, Coimbra. Nice. Uh, number 39 for me is Tramways from Alvin Viard. This is the game that helped me discover Alvin Viard, and now I have all of his games, and they're wonderful. Um, but in this one in particular, you have a deck building element, and then you have this kind of root building and pick up and deliver element in front of you. It's not the prettiest game in the world, but it comes, well, it can come with like dozens of expansions. He's made many, many maps for this, and the deck building element is very interesting. Um, the, the shared world element, too, of VR's game is always fun. This is in the same small city where Clinic is developed. <laughs> so uh, it's fun. And uh, it, it's one of those games that every time I play it, it comes out very, very differently. Um, I have a blast playing this with other people or solo. So that's Tramways. My number 38 game is a game we've talked about quite quite a lot because it is one of our favorite civilization building games. This is Vladar Shavatel's through the ages, a new story of civilization. This is the re-implementation of Through the Ages, a story of civilization. It's new, it's dy dynamic, it's history. And again, it's one of our favorite games because it allows us to play a civilization game on the table in a kind of Euro format. It's all about drafting these cards from the market, building up your resources any way that you want. So how you want to build up your civilization, how you want to build up your military, what great leaders you want to put into play and how the generations pass up to the modern age is so much fun and dynamic. Even the app that you can play this on is still great, or you can play it on steam. Also great. This game is great. Nothing seems to get, you know, get it down recently got a great new, you know, expansion to check out. That's through the ages. My number 38th game. All right. Awesome. Yeah. That one's on my list as well. Uh, number 38 for me is a new one. We call this one the, the big melting pot of board games, Arc Nova. So got a little bit of Terraforming Mars in there. Got a little bit of Civilization and New Dawn in there. A little bit of like eight other things, all of which are very good. And the result is this game of tableau building and engine building and animals uh, in this animal preserve. So Arc Nova. Yeah, it's it's. I, it's not the second coming of board games <laughs> that people make it out to be, but it is very good and it makes it pretty pretty high on my list after a year. Makes a lot of sense. Well, my number 37 game, it dropped a bit, but it's still 
there and solidly able, we're talking about Spirit Island. It's the co-op game about the, the these great gods and mystical powers and about the Dahan people pushing it back against the colonization of their lands. One of the best, if not the best, co-op game out there. There's been so many expansions. I can't even begin to tell you all the expansions that are out there. I don't think you need all of the expansions, but so many of them are so fantastic. And again, whether you play this a solo or you play this with a team full of people, you're going to really love the dynamic and interesting card play and what pops out of that. My friends, that's my number 37, Spirit Island. Ah, fantastic game. Definitely higher on my list. <laughs> um, number 37 for me is Iki. This is originally released in 2015. Uh, it was on a Kickstarter and finally, finally, finally released more properly in the West um, just here in the last couple days or a couple years. Uh, this game is about going and, you know, uh, buying things from the artisans of the Edo marketplaces uh, in the the olden times of Japan. So um, there's a rondel mechanic. You're moving around. You're interacting with these different artisans. The more you visit them, the more they kind of level up. <laughs> and eventually they retire, and you can bring them into your own tableau if they've retired. Um, it's a fantastic game. One of my favorite rondel-style games. And the artwork is absolutely beautiful. Um, Iki. <laughs> Excellent game. All right, my number 36 game is a wonderful worker placement game, but it does so many different things that you're going to be blown away, literally blown away by it. It's Carson City because, you know, you were standing on my worker placement spot and I happen to have a six shooter. And yeah, we're, we're dueling, bro. So it was that worker placement game that was flipped upside down and allowed you to build out the town, but at a risk. But also opportunities to utilize different townspeople in order to give you resources it's so much fun it's so dynamic those dice rolls are so meaningful in the game and yet it comes down to be a traditional worker placement area area control somewhat but it's a traditional worker placement game to the next level you gotta love it my number 36 carson city awesome uh next up for me number 36 i mentioned this at the start of the show it's Keyforge. Uh, one of my favorite quick two-player dueling card games um, ever. Just to get a deck, make it work. You don't get to build your own deck. You just got to make it work. Um, it's the game I've still played the most in the last few years, despite COVID. Um, played a little bit online, but just I played so much that first couple years after it came out that it stays way up there on the list for me. I'm very excited for the new stuff that was just on GameFound coming out next year. Uh, hopefully to get back out and play it in the wild again. So number 36 for me, Keyforge. My number 35 game is, again, another re-implementation. And this time, everything's all in one box. It was the big Kickstarter. It's Kemet, Blood and Sand. So mm. you are playing as warring Egyptian gods, trying to utilize your amazing, monstrous army to dominate Egypt. It's an area control game that will not allow you to turtle, but you can get a turtle, but not allow you to turtle. So you have to get out there to fight to control the different obelisks to be able to score, you know, victory points throughout the game. It is an amazing final, hopefully final perfection of a great game with a whole bunch of expansions all placed into one. That's why my number 35 game is Kemet Blood and Sand. Oh, I got that one too. <laughs> 
Uh, number 35 for me is Matthias Kramer's Watergate. This is a asymmetrical two-player game in which one player plays the Nixon White House and the other side plays uh, the journalists of the Washington Post trying to expose the administration. Um, and it's fantastic. It's quick. It's very, very deep. It reminds me of like 1960 Baking the President or Twilight Struggle, but in a 30-minute two-player quick card game box. Um, fantastic. One of my favorite two-player games, Watergate. And that's higher on my list. My number 34 game is one of those games that it seems like it's going to crush you. It seems so big, so dynamic, so many different things into play. And that's all true, but somehow it's playable and it's fun. This is from Albin Villard Clinic Deluxe Edition. This is the new re-implementation of the original Clinic. It recently had an endless number of expansions that came out for it. But the game is all about building up this hospital, managing the healthcare of your patients. And it utilizes so many different expansion mechanics for this that you can really feel everything that goes on throughout that day in that particular hospital. You're building the floors, you're taking care of the maintenance, you're taking care of the parking lot, the the nursing home, possibly zombies, because that's a thing. This is the game that will challenge your grip of reality because there's so many different things that go on. And yet at the same time, it's somehow, some way possible to be manageable. Again, my number 34 game, Clinic Deluxe Edition. Ah, yes. I also have this one. <laughs> we'll come to it shortly. Uh, 34 for me is Glenmore 2. So we've got back-to-back games from Matthias Kramer here. Um, this takes the, the core formula of Glenmore with the rondelle and the tile drafting and building your own little tableau and adds like a dozen additional things that you can do right? You've got the map now, you have all these different uh, possible chronicles you can go through. There's an expansion with additional chronicles, solo modes, all this extra stuff that just make this really good game that much better. Um, The base game alone, though, if you just play Glenmore 2 as the original game was intended with the modern tweaks, is a fantastic experience. Uh, That's why it's uh, number 34 on my list. Excellent. My number 33 is Small World. And it's not Small World anymore from Days of Wonder. It's had so many expansions, a super crazy deluxe box, and now IPs are kind of peeking into that Small World world. For me, it was kind of the quintessential area control game. I played Risk for so many years, and then getting into Small World was this opportunity to not just play one race with fantastical powers, but multiple races with fantastical powers. It was a wonderful reinvention of Vinci that was a good game, and this was a great game and a fun game. And I played this with family and friends. It's just so much so much fun to get to the table. That's my number 33 game, Small World. Small World, great game. Uh, next up for me is Noose Fjord from Uwe Rosenberg. This is a game I actually discovered at PAX the first year we were at PAX. Um, it is a one to five player worker placement game, but this one's a little different than his other ones because it is much smaller and more condensed, right? We have just the two resources plus coins. You have a fairly limited number of locations you can take actions, a fairly limited number of cards you can add to your tableau. It plays very quickly and very efficiently uh, and and yet differently every time through because there's so much variability and he's released so many different decks of fish cards that have different upgrades and abilities on them. 
Um, one of my favorite Rosenberg games to play solo because it goes so quick and it's so accessible. Like you can reset the game in like five minutes, um, but also great at five because it only still takes an hour and a half. So uh, Newsfjord, uh, it's at number 33 for me. My number 32 is, again, another re-implementation, but the base game and the expansion from the original version is still fantastic. This is from Matthias Kramer, Stefan Maltz, Louis Maltz. This is Rococo Deluxe Edition that came out in 2020. But again, the original version, just as good. Even the artwork is just as good. No slight against Ian Tool's artwork here, which is also fantastic. This is a game about this wondrous, extravagant period in France where it's all about the fashion. It's all about the fireworks and the glamour that went on that time. And you're able to make all of these wonderful dresses and suit coats and again, a dynamic, different kind of theme that I've never seen before. But it's also an interesting area majority influence game. You're building up your deck and you're picking up different artisans to be able to build and create. So you have to manage that throughout. And it allows you to kind of build your own, again, another kind of theme that runs through, through kind of my games here is I like to build my own engine and I like to build my own scoring opportunities Rococo allows you to do both. Fantastic game. That's why my number 32 is Rococo Deluxe Edition. Ah, fantastic. Uh, number 32 for me is a game you've already talked about, so I won't go on too much about it, and that's Blood Rage. Uh, it's <laughs> it's the best Simon game I own by a mile. It's the only one I'll still play, either digital or at the table regularly and enjoy in all its many permutations. Um, it's not overly bloated like the later Kickstarters were, and it's not undercooked like some of the earlier ones were it's just right it's just a perfect engaging strategy game um from eric lang uh blood rage absolutely just right it's the perfect way to say that my number 31 game is again for a long time has been people's kind of quintessential kind of tableau building game civilization building game this is glory to rome from ed carter and carl chudick and again it's the multi-use cards that really just just blow me away because again you have so many different opportunities to build up your tableau you're building up all these buildings based upon using the cards themselves so the cards become the foundation the cards become the resources the cards become opportunities to gain special abilities in that particular round the black box edition is still the best looking of the editions but nonetheless you got to play a version hopefully black box but even if it's the other version Glory to Rome, my number 31 game. All right. Awesome. Good stuff. Uh, number 31 for me is On Mars. This is another Vitalis Arda game. Uh, and it's thus far his heaviest, according to Board Game Geek, uh, has a lot going on, right? Um, it's a game in which you are exploring and colonizing Mars, but there's oh so many mechanics going on here. It's not just like this tableau building blanket game like Terraforming Mars. In this game, you have to manage all these different resources and these different tracks are moving up and you can go back into orbit and launch different things. And there's a lot of interdependent, interconnected systems, as you'd expect from a Vitala Serta game. And they all work so well, thematically and mechanically. Um, one of his best games, one of my favorite games of his, On Mars. That's on my list as well. Perfect pick. My number 30 game is a game I played way back when and still love it to this day. You know, a lot of people talk about social deduction games. I actually have a good one for you because you're not targeting players. 
you're targeting their particular roles. This is citadels. It's all about these different, famous, popular, powerful people in the kingdom that are supporting or hindering your progress in grading and being able to capture gold, capture resources to build up the greatest kingdom possible. I love the opportunity to pick different roles to benefit based on their abilities and pick up the tableau that works best for me. Hey man, let's play some Citadels. My <laughs> number 30 game. Yeah, Citadels is good. Uh, my number 30 is, uh, it's, it's a game that's like, it rose really high on my list and it's just sticking around because it's anytime I have a chance to play it, I will and I love it. It's Antique A2. Um, it's a Matt Gertz game and it is uh, Rondell based and you're moving around and you're spreading different influence throughout the ancient world. Um, and it's an upgrade to original Antique, but you know, I don't even know if you could find the original Antique anymore. It's, it's just, everything's been made better and more efficient and more streamlined in this version. Um, you're gathering these different resources. You're using them to build temples and armies and, um, expand throughout the map. You could play very quickly and efficiently with six people. It's one of the reasons I love this game so much. Bring it to game nights. Um, it's one of Matt Gertz's best for me. That's Antique 2. All right. My number 29 game is an, a game you talked about earlier, Anthony. This is Uwe Rosenberg's Caverna, the Cave Farmers. Again, you might or might not like Agricola because, again, it's all about that farming that goes on based upon the cards that you're able to pull throughout the game. Here, Caverna really opens that up by the opportunity to have tiles representing those cards so you could build up your cavern, you could build up your agriculture. And you can build up your special abilities, or you can go for a little bit of a jaunt and pick up some resources that you probably liberated in certain places. A lot of ways to play the game. The recent expansion makes the game a lot more fun, a lot more dynamic, a lot more ways to play. It is an amazing, absolutely amazing worker placement game. Caverna, the K Farmers. I agree. So, <laughs> number 29 for me uh, is Food Chain Magnet. So, this is Splatter's. Big, sprawling implementation of, I guess, 1950s Americana, um, the game. Uh, but you're, you're going to run restaurants. You're going to put out different types of food. They're going to produce it. You're going to have this big, sprawling uh, organizational chart in your company, and you have to manage that. And then there's advertising, and the game is incredibly mean on top of everything else because it's a splatter game. Um you know, somebody wants to advertise their hamburgers. Well, guess what? You're going to advertise something else and mess with their uh, with with the demand that they're trying to generate. Um, it's one of those games that I did terribly at my first couple plays, and I still wanted to play again. That's how good it was, and it's still one of my favorites. Food chain magnet. That is also on my list somewhere. We will find out later. All right, my number 28 game is a game I know you love, Anthony. It's Seven Wonders Duel. It's a two-player game all about building up civilization, military, and science. And as you pull cards off this tableau to build up your own tableau, you're op opening new opportunities, scoring resources, and special abilities throughout. There's numerous expansions that have come out that have made the game even better. Again, I don't know how much better you can do, but if you can, Seven Wonders Duel, my number 28. Definitely higher on my list as well. That will come back to that. Uh, 28 for me is Teotihuacan. This is the, it's not the first of the T games, but it's the first of the modern run of T games um, from Danielle Tashini. And 
it, it's just a fantastic, tightly designed, engaging game. There's four expansions for it now. They all add something new and interesting and different. But even the base core game in which you just move your dice around this Rondell-style board, take the action based on the power of the die, and then try to work towards building up this pyramid. Just a fantastic game um, and one of the best uh, types of, of this you know, dice-based worker games. Teotihuacan. Excellent. My number 27th game, if we're going to talk about Seven Wonders Duel, you might as well talk about Seven Wonders. Seven Wonders Second Edition. The first edition is fine. Second edition clears up a lot of things, makes things a little more crisp. This has had multiple expansions, whether it's Cities or Leaders or Armada or Babel. Again, great additions to an already great game. It's about card drafting and building up your tableau, managing your military to mess with your neighbors a little bit but also being able to gain science so that you can be able to score the most points possible. Each of the wonder boards is a wonder to see and a lot of fun to play. That's my number 27 game, Seven Wonders, second edition. Not on my list anymore, but still like one of the all-time greats, and I will gladly play it whenever. (laughs) Uh, Number 27 is Clinic Deluxe. So you already mentioned this one uh, back at 34. Um, So I agree with everything you said, and... Then so like this is a game that has maybe two, three hundred different permutations. If you throw in all the expansions, I have a whole shelf on my Kalax that's just clinic and its expansions because there's so much content for this thing. Um, but even just playing the base game, the puzzle that's presented here and the tightness with which it's designed is so engaging. Um, VR really knows how to build a puzzly game. So clinic deluxe for me. Twenty seven. Makes a lot of sense. My number 26 game is a game that you and I, Anthony, have talked about a lot. Uh, Again, I don't know if I can fully endorse the Super Deluxe Collector's Edition, but man, this is Suburbia. My number 26 game. So you like to build up a city? You can do it with a bunch of tiles, and you can manage that based upon what you're able to pull off the market and how those tiles match up and be able to score off each other throughout the game. And there's some really interesting goals throughout. And again, the expansions add a lot of fun play. I especially like Suburbia Inc., where you can add those long kind of tiles that, you know, built out, you know, harbors and parks and different areas. The big Super Deluxe Collection Edition has all the fun stuff. So if you can manage carrying that thing around, you should. It's my number 26, Suburbia. Also on my list, but it's actually dropped off the top 50 this year. And I blame that Collector's Edition because I haven't played this game in a while now. (laughs) Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Um, Number 26 for me is it's technically a new game, but it's really an old game coming back. And that's Sky Mines. Uh, So we, you know, we've talked about Mombasa in the past. It's been on our list in the past and it fell off of my list. If only because it's not a game I was going to bring to the table anymore for thematic reasons. Um, It's just problematic in that way. But now that I have Sky Mines, I can bring it back to the table. And it's a fantastic game. (laughs) So um, Alexander Fister's game of, you know, managing these different corporations and managing the map um, and trying to make sure you have the right cards in the right place at the right time on your player board, all these different tracks to keep track of. It all comes together so seamlessly. Um, it's a blast. And I'm glad Skyminds exists. It adds a bunch of new stuff into it as well, especially for solo players. Very, very fun. It's on my list as well. My number 25. And again, I own a lot of this IP and I mean a ridiculous little, <laughs> a lot. So when it's on my number 25, it is certainly a great game. This is Star Trek Ascendancy. There is all of the different races, or at least most of the different Star Trek races out there. 
But basically, you get to play a particular civilization in the Star Trek, you know, universe. And the civilization plays very much like the IP wants you to play. So if you're the Klingons, you're all about attacking. If you are the Federation, you're all about exploring and scientific investigation. You're the Romulans, you're all about sneaking around and backstabbing and pushing other people into war. And again, there's the Borg, there's the Dominion, there's the Ferengi, there's the Kardashian, there's just a whole bunch of really great and fun stuff to get to the table. It is the Star Trek version of TI4, a lot of fun. If you can get to the table, Star Trek Ascendancy, my number 25. Yeah, yeah. If you can get it to the table, it's a big part. But if you can, it's amazing. <laughs> That's true. Uh, 25 for me is Concordia, which I'm sure is also on your list. Um, Matt Gertz's other big game that I love. And the reason this game jumped up so much on my list this year is the Solitaria expansion, which allows you to play it solitaire. It's fantastic. In a time of COVID, I've played this a bunch of times and now owning like those nine maps comes in handy because I have this great solo expansion for it. Um, it's a great game. I'll let you talk about more about it later, but Concordia jumped up to 25 on my list. How did you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my number 24 game is a small game. We went from super big to super small. This is Sinister Fish Games Villagers. Mm. This is a car drafting game, city building game, Again, mechanics that I really love, but what's really funny about this game is it does it in a small way, but at no time do you feel like it's a small game and you're sacrificing anything. This is one of the few games that once I got to the table, we played it again and again and again. Everyone loves this game. It is so smart and fun. And again, just it, it just has everything you could possibly want in that kind of card drafting, tableau building, civil, civil civilization game. And it's simple. It's like straightforward. It's streamlined and it's elegant. It's sleek. And it fits in a tiny box. If you're not playing this, you should. It's inexpensive. Pick this thing up. This is number 24, <laughs> Villagers. I love this game. It's a great pick. Uh, 24 for me is Kemet Blood and Sand, which you mentioned back at 35. This is my favorite dudes on a map game. It's higher on, than Blood Rage on my list as a result. Um, and it it does everything so well. It's streamlined. It's tightly designed. It has all this different content, but it's been boiled down and pieces that don't fit have been removed or streamlined out. Um, yeah. Fantastic iteration. And as you said, hopefully the final iteration of Kemet blood <laughs> and sand. My number 23 is yet another Seamon game. That is of course all about miniatures, but it really is a solid game that has, numerous expansions almost an, an acquisition disorder number of expansions this is arcadia quest from eric lang et al because there's a lot of designers in in the mix here and this is about putting together a small medieval fantasy team together in order to achieve objectives and also mess with you know other players and it also has not just that kind of like kind of general skirmish mode but you can actually pay play a full campaign this has had endless expansions, Kickstarters throughout. It's just a fun game to get to the table. And it really just is the sweet point for me as far as the dungeon crawl is concerned. So my number 23 game, Arcadia Quest. Yes. Yeah. High on my to paint list as well. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, that's that's another list altogether. <laughs> yeah. I, I can do a top 100 of that. Uh, all right. Number 23 for me is Vladimir Suchi's Underwater Cities. Uh, this, again, a game we discovered at PAX and it instantly fell in love with. Um, 
has a lot of the tableau building elements of a game like Terraforming Mars or Wingspan, but much more tightly designed and restrictive. You can only hold so many cards in your hand. The cards are broken up into different stages. You have your own player board that you're building out instead of like a shared one. And the worker placement element on top of that really makes the game sing. Um, one of the best games released in the last I don't know, decade or so. Uh, and one of my absolute favorites. I still play this regularly solo, um, both offline and online. Um, Underwater Cities at number 23. It was my number one last year, so it's possible that it might still be on my list. <laughs> I would imagine. <laughs> my number 22 game is, I know, a, a favorite of yours, Anthony, and, and I think, you know, certainly on your list. This is Luciani and Tashini's game, The Voyages of Marco Polo. Again, roll a bunch of dice, place them on the board, get a bunch of resources, move your explorers around the board, and deal with your special character that has a broken power. But don't worry, everyone has a broken power throughout yeah. the game. <laughs> it's a lot of fun as far as that can go. And yet it stays very balanced. I love the expansion to this game. There's so much. And again, they made a second version of this that's completely different and yet the same. And somehow they pulled that off as well. It's kind of hard, but I think this this version is still the best version for me. It's a lot more about the contract completion than the exploring, but again, that's out there as well. The Voyages of Marco Polo, my number 22 game. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's coming up. It's coming up. Uh, <laughs> uh, 22 for me is one that you mentioned way back at the start of this list, Dwellings of Eldervale. This is a game, uh, I should have known that I'd like this game. I don't know why I didn't back it originally. It's designed by Luke Laurie, who has designed several other games that I very much enjoy, including um, Energy Empire. Uh, but this is not a game I personally own. I've just had a chance to play it a couple times. And it is an absolutely epic worker placement slash area control slash engine building slash a bunch of other stuff um, Euro game. It doesn't look like it's a Euro game because it's got so much stuff going on on the board, but it very much is. Uh, and it, it really works well somehow with all those things blending together. Um, just a truly epic take on a lot of these mechanics with very fun asymmetrical player powers and approaches to the way you're going to interact with the different monsters on the board. Uh, absolute blast. I can't wait for this one to actually be in stock somewhere so I can pick up a copy. Dwellings of Eldervale. Me too, for certainly. <laughs> yeah. My number 21 game is, I know, surprising for a lot of people, but it really shouldn't be. I love Terraforming Mars. I also love Roll for the Galaxy. And, and again, of, of course, Race for the Galaxy. So why would I not love, for me, the most definitive version of Terraforming Mars? Terraforming Mars, Ares Expedition. It takes a lot of the greatness of Terraforming Mars and kind of shrinks it down, condenses it into a really dynamic gameplay that's all about putting those cards out there on the board that you love to get to the table. Terraforming Mars, Ares Edition, Ares Expedition actually allows you to do that. So it's not like Terraforming Mars where you get those great cards. You're like, ah, oh, I can't build this. Here you actually get to build those cards. It's all about Terraforming Mars. I don't think I have to tell you more than that, but it's the Ares Expedition. And it's great. And you should play it. It's out there in the box stores. So pick it up. My number 21, Terraforming Mars, Ares Expedition. That's a good pick. That is a good pick. That's that's, that's like Castle's Burgundy card game good pick because people just Absolutely overlook agree. it, but it's a great game. Uh, 21 for me, you mentioned earlier, uh, Brass Birmingham. This is, uh, it's funny, I hadn't played Brass before these came out, and I played 
Lancashire first and then Birmingham like two days later at a different game night. And I'm like, oh, this is much better, <laughs> right? And I can't even put my finger quite on what's much better just from that initial impression, but I've only played Birmingham since. Um, the beer mechanic's very solid. The balance of the board is very solid. It's one of those games that I feel like you could play a hundred times and still be finding new nuances to the board, to the interactions, to the way the game comes together. Um, we played this a whole bunch of times right before COVID because we had it on a 10 by 10 list back in Pittsburgh and just really fell in love with it then. So Brass Birmingham will probably almost always be at the top of my list um, because it's a game I would sit down and play whenever. Number 21. Absolutely. Can't agree more. My number 20 is a game that is challenging to learn, but a lot of fun when you kind of like really dive deep into it. It's an economic medieval game. It's, it's hand management, dealing with resources, dealing with military, has a lot of those kind of 4X elements to it. But primarily, it's a Euro economic game. And it's big, it's sprawling, it's from Mark Swanson. This is Feudum. Feudum is a game that I did not pick up initially on Kickstarter when it came out. And I regret that I didn't because, again, it has so much little pieces to it of the little fantasy elements to it that really just brings this game to life. What I love most about this game is how dynamic the economic market is because it has a supply chain in the game that you are managing throughout, you know, beyond that kind of area control kind of battling happen, but it really comes down to the supply chain. When you push one end, the other ends of the supply chain move forward and they kind of do things as well and they pay off. I mean, it's a great, great game. It's a little bit heavy. It takes a little bit to learn. The cards are just, you know, choosing different actions and kind of putting them to play and then watching the market take place. My number 20 game is Feudum. <laughs> Probably a game that would be on my list if I could ever get it played. <laughs> so, <laughs> I famously did back the Kickstarter, have never played my copy. Wow. Uh, gotcha. It's, it's a shame. Uh, number 20 for me is Dominant Species Marine from Chad Jensen, his the late Chad Jensen in his final game. Um, or at least final published for now. Uh, so this is Dominant Species, but in the water, right? So we take the core mechanics of that game, a classic, and it's been re-implemented and kind of streamlined and adjusted in a way where it's a little more asymmetrical up front in terms of like how your particular species is going to play out. Uh, and then has a whole bunch of the stuff that we know and love from the original, but remixed in a way that is a little more modern, right? So the, the programming element's not quite there as much, but the worker placement stuff is still there. And the, brutal meanness of how you spread out and control the board is still very much there. Uh, so Dominant Species Marine is my favorite way to play this game because it's a little bit shorter. It's a little more accessible. It works well at four players. Um, Dominant Species is still a brilliant game on its own. And uh, I own both of these, but Dominant Species Marine is a little higher on my list. And it's my number 20. It's on my list as well. Anthony, as you mentioned, my number 19 game, not a surprise here, Concordia. So this is trading in the Mediterranean in the best way possible. This is Matt Gertz's game. Again, depending on who you talk to, maybe his best game of all time. So again, you have a handful of cards. These different cards have different actions. You take these different actions throughout the game to explore, to build, to trade resources, to pick up powers as far as the senators are concerned. And as you're deck building, you're growing out your resources. And again, the multi-use cards here, 
They're not just abilities, but they're end game scoring points. This game's fun. You mentioned so much great stuff about it as far as the solo is concerned. This has had the solo. It's had the buddy team up two players versus two other players versus two other players. There's so many great ways to play as Concordia. I, I mean, Concordia, my number 19. <laughs> it is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, still don't own it, but I still love it. <laughs> that's so crazy to me, man. I, <laughs> I, I played it so many times from other people. I'm like, I got to buy this at some point. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah. I have to buy all of it. So I have to wait for a sale or something. But <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Um, all right. So for me, number 19 is this game is a little higher for me last time we did this because i've been playing it a lot i have not played it nearly as much of late uh and that's the great zimbabwe from splatter this is if, if you're gonna say they have a lighter game this is probably it and by lighter i mean shorter <laughs> so um you can play the great zimbabwe in an hour and a half it's a little more accessible in that way where a lot of their other games take four or five hours um, but in this game you are uh it's it, the game is based around ancient African civilizations and around the great Zimbabwe, the world heritage site in South Africa. Um, And you are building monuments to certain gods. You're going to choose these gods at some point during the game and they give you different special powers. So it's, it's an economic game and a pick up and deliver type of game as you build up these different monuments, but also have asymmetry mixed in, in terms of the powers that you pick up or the technologies that you, you know, accumulate. Um, there's a lot going on here. It's very, very tight. It's very, very... Uh, add, the more you play, the more you start to understand the dynamics and the interplay between these different uh, powers and the trade goods and all these different things. And you can tell like pretty quickly in the game how it's going to go. Um, and it's a race to reach a certain victory level. Um, I'm going on and on about this because it is one of those all-time greats. And I know it's not on your list. <laughs> Number 19, The Great Zimbabwe. There's there's other spotter games on there. I, I will yeah. say that. Anthony, my number 18 game is a game that I, I certainly know does not get enough attention, does not get enough love. Tom Jolly, Luke Laurie, The Manhattan Project, Energy Empire. There's so many great things to say about this game, especially in this time and age where the environment is, is getting clobbered. And every once in a while, you're like, hey, why is that happening? Well, you know mm. what? Play a game where you get to represent the different countries, their special abilities in the world. And how you are kind of trying to come together, but also to win the game of, I guess, global domination at some point. What's so much fun about this game, I mean, it's so many different things. Because again, again, you are utilizing so many different worker placement actions. You're building up your own tableau of special abilities, special powers. But it really comes down to the dice. If you want to do dirty energy, you can do this. You can do nuclear energy, that which is going to produce a lot of energy to kind of supercharge your economy but it's going to leave your environment quite bad. And that's so much fun to see because I love Euro games that have that kind of push-pull mechanic. Like, yeah, you can get a positive, but there's a negative waiting for you. Mm. <laughs> or you can go positive you know, throughout the game, but uh, I don't know. Like At some points, it's, it's really hard and you have to get really lucky. It's, it's a phenomenal game, does not get enough attention, should be reprinted, and people should play it, not just for the environmental factors for it, it's just an, a fantastic game. That is my number 18 game, The Manhattan Project Energy Empire. 100% agree, yeah. It's not in my top 50, and I was actually surprised by that when I put this together, but it is on my list. Um, my number 18 is a 
game that I just got a chance to play over the summer, but uh, played it two or three times, picked up a copy immediately. Um, Eclipse, Second Dawn for the Galaxy. This is an interesting one because I originally played Eclipse way back in the day and I did not enjoy it very much. I even owned a copy for a while. And that first edition of it, it was a little fiddly. It was clunky. It took too long. Um, second down for the galaxy, whether I had a bad experience the first time or the, the new version streamlines it, I love it. So it's an absolute blast of a puzzly Euro exploring and manipulating and managing the things going on in the galaxy. Um, all these different asymmetrical abilities and, and approaches you can take to the game with the different races, um, technology tiles, all the different upgrades. And this particular production is just such a fantastic production. It's very expensive, but the quality of the stuff that comes out of that box is very solid. Um, so it jumped way up on my list. Fantastic, big, epic event type game. Eclipse, Second Dawn for the Galaxy. That's on my list as well. My Ooh. number 17 game, Anthony, I think you mentioned this. I'm going to mention this too. Sky Mines. Uh, yeah. This is the reimplementation of Mombasa that had some of the best board game mechanics in a game that I ever played. It was very high on my list, but also was very problematic on my list. So thrilled yeah. to have Sky Mines come out, hit the table. The graphic design takes a little getting used to because, again, it's it's somewhat generic in its kind of orientation. But again, the mechanics here are still amazing. You are purchasing cards from a market to build up your hand. You got to play those cards somewhere. You play them down into your tableau and then they go back into your reserve. So as the game goes on and you're playing cards, you're building up your reserve hands for the future. That kind of tension is essential. Don't play the basic version, play the advanced version where they're stuck in that particular line. You'll thank me later. But basically throughout the game, you are exploring and being able to utilize the moon for all of its resources and going up at the different markets, a lot of fun. Should get to the table right away. Sky Mines, my number 17. Yes, awesome. Uh, my number 17, a game you mentioned earlier, uh, Seven Wonders Duel. This is one of the all-time best quick two-player games. Uh, I can play it with my gamer friends. I can play it with my kids. I can play it online. I can play it on my phone. Uh, it takes very little time. And I'm one of the people apparently one of the few who doesn't actually love the game as much with all the expansion stuff added in, but there is all that expansion stuff if you want it. Um, so seven wonders duel, one of the greatest two player implementations of a larger game ever, just period, hands down. Um, and well worth checking out number 17 on my list. It's quite an accomplishment really. Yeah. My number 16 is a throwback to the old days. <laughs> I don't know how old it is, but uh, Corey Conixia. This is this is Rune Wars. Ooh. Uh, you know, Rune Wars has always been the big fantasy game that had literally all the stuff. Sometimes a little too much stuff, but it had all the stuff. And it had the elves. Okay, brother? It had the elves in it to it. You have your own tech tree that you're building up that's unique to your particular race. Again, since this is an area majority influence attacking kind of situation... You're spreading out your powers throughout the board, and you're utilizing all these different troops to do so. In addition to that, you have your own heroes that go on their own little particular quest. It's really fun and dynamic. And then you have an, a number of opportunities to explore this dark fantasy universe. For me, this is the best version of Rune Wars. I know that they've had its miniature versions. I know that it's had its card versions. I know it's had its other two-play versions. 
I like the different races in play all at once. It adds to the dynamics of the game. If you go way, way back, there was a coffin box version of this with plastic mountains. It's a throwback. It's still one of the best. It's Rune Wars way back from 2010. And it's my number 16. Uh, Such a good game. Haven't played it since 20, whenever it came out, but um, love it. Uh, Number 16 for me is Twilight Imperium 4th Edition. This is the big, big, epic, long event game on my list. Um, If if you're going to carve out one day and say, okay, this entire day of my life, this percentage of my life on Earth is going to be spent playing one game, this is probably the game I would want to play if it was my choice. Um, It's epic. It's fun no matter how well you do. Uh, I've, I've always enjoyed just being part of that experience and watching things play out. Sometimes you don't get to do anything for a little while, and it's just fun to be a part of it and to see it and to engage with it. Some games are not as fun when you're not doing things. This one is. Um, more than 20 different races to play through, all these different technologies, all these different things to, to fight over. Brilliant game, Twilight Imperium 4, one of the greatest of all time. Number 16. That's also on my list as well. I totally agree. My number 15 game is certainly better with its expansion, Rise of Fenris, but even the base game alone is a revelation to play. It's Scythe. Uh, Scythe has, you know, way back when, when it came out, it was this Euro game that had these big giant mechs, this amazing artwork, and it utilizes that area control mechanics, but also had a lot of different gameplay elements to it. It's had multiple kind of expansions that add on the Rise of Fenris, Still makes the game just infinitely better. Euro, Amerithrash, a lot of fun to get to the table. Scythe. All right, good stuff. Uh, number 15 for me is Gaia Project. This is the space re-implementation of Terra Mystica that arguably fixes most of the problems with Terra Mystica. <laughs> like, brilliant game. I love Terra Mystica, but it's not the most balanced experience. Um Gaia Project fixes a lot of that. It makes the tech tree more interesting. It deals with the the concerns over the like kind of the set aside ambiguousness of the, the priest track. Um, the map is modular now. The solo mode is fantastic. All great things. Some of which have come to Terra Mystica. Many of which have not. Uh, that's why Gaia Project is my number fifteen. Very cool. My number fourteen is Vladimir Suchi's again. Hard to say because Vladimir Suchi has so many great games that are on my list. This feels like his best game. I'd love to see it re-implemented in a new theme. It's Shipyard. You're building ships to match your objectives. Again, one of my most fun ways to play games is you get end goals. You get to choose your end goals. You get to build an engine to meet those end goals. What's fun about this game especially is you're actually building the ship with these little pieces throughout the game. You're kind of adding parts to the ship, you're adding people to the ship, you're adding resources to the ship, and then you're actually sailing the ship through these little canals. So thematically, it's an amazing game. And it's got rondelles. Who doesn't like rondelles? So it's a lot of fun to get to the table. If you can find it, and again, great, great game. Shipyard from Vladimir Suchi is my number 14. All right. Uh, Number 14 for me is Clans of Caledonia. This was originally on Kickstarter, and you know there's some elements of that in here, but it's really not your big sprawling Kickstarter type of game. It's a very small, tight box. 
and a very small tight game with a handful of unbalanced uh, additional clans in there. Uh, it is, I don't know, it has a lot of different elements to it. It feels a little bit of Terra Mystica. It feels a little bit of Uwe Rosenberg, a little bit of all these different things kind of drawn together. But you are putting out all these different, uh, you're putting out workers, you're putting out different types of animals, you're putting out different types of crops, and you're building up your clans of Caledonia. Uh, you have a, an asymmetrical power you start the game with, and it's all about being as efficient as possible and spreading out as much as possible by also keeping everything connected. A great little puzzle that I've played probably more times than almost anything on this list in the last three years because of the online implementation on Board Game Arena and because I can play it solo in like 15 minutes. Um, one of my favorites, and uh, yeah, we'll be up here for a long time. Clans of Caledonia, number 14. That's a surprising pick. I didn't, I didn't see that come. That's a dark horse there. Yeah. My number 13 game is a big sprawling game. It's all about the battles in the Mediterranean. It has wonderful artwork, wonderful little armies, multiple ways to win. You could build up all these different wonders. You could build up your wealth. You could build up all your resources, or you could take down other people's capitals. This is Mary Nostrum Empires. This is a phenomenal game, one of those big, sprawling kind of 4X games. Great little tech trees to it. So much fun to get to the table. Beautiful game. That's my number 13, Mary Nostrum yep. Empires. Oh, fantastic. Uh, number 13 on my list, my highest Uwe Rosenberg. You'll get to love this. A Feast for Odin. Ah. <laughs> it, it's, I don't know what it is. It's it's still my favorite. It's probably the polyominoes. Um, you mean the, the weirdly shaped bread and food at the table? Yeah, yeah, the funny <laughs> shaped bread and food. Gotta love it. Uh, yeah, it's it's got a lot going on, but at the end of the day, it's a big, sprawling, sandboxy worker placement game with a really cool polyomino thing kind of labeled onto it. So Feast for Odin, it's now on Board Game Arena as well, which I've played several times, but I've also played it just, I will pull this giant box out and set it up sometimes and play it solo. That's how much I like it. Uh, number 13, Feast for Odin. Excellent. My number 12 game is a game that I think that a lot of people have not played. And honestly, I get it because this whole Tempest universe that was developed by AEG Games kind of ended up just condensing into Love Letter. But there's so many games in this little universe. And the best of them all is Dominair. Dominair is about utilizing all of these kind of like political intrigues in this medieval city to be able to raise your own prominence and value by utilizing the people at different stages. They actually show you what their abilities are, what when they kind of trigger, and then to control the different areas and seats in those cities. So basically, you're the power behind the powers. You're really, you're the puppet master controlling all these other people through conspiracies. And you're trying to stay very low and very quiet. But again, it's just so much fun and so many ways to play. Again, based upon all these characters that become available to add to your tableau. Uh, again, it's something you should certainly search out if you have not played it yet. My number 12, Dominaire. Dominaire, good stuff. It's been a while since I played that. Uh, number 12 for me uh, is another older game, uh, but still remains my favorite Civilization game. It's Nations. This game came out in 2013, and it was very expensive at the time, which precluded a lot of people from getting it. Um, but it's a fantastic civilization building game in which you have all these different mats that represent all these different possible civilizations, especially if you have the dynasties expansion. And then you have 
a giant, giant deck of cards, like four or 500 cards broken down into different phases um, throughout history. And you're just building up your own tableau, but the tableau changes. Like you build a tableau and you produce that tableau and then you get something new and upgrade the tableau, right? As a Civ game should be. So you're not just adding on to things, you're upgrading it. Like, all right, well now my horsemen become tanks because that's what happens. Um, (laughs) It's just a fantastic experience. Nations, the dice game re-implemented this. It's not nearly as good in my opinion. Uh, Nations, the original game, which is still somewhat hard to find and still very expensive is amazing. And I wish they would bring it back in a a tighter, more accessible package for everybody. Yeah. hundred percent agree. This needs a new version, but the old version is still very great. It just kind of got lost because the other games were so big. Yeah. My number 11 game is my, and this is hard to say, my favorite game from Mind Clash Games, because Mind Clash Games has so many great games, Tricarion's Collector's Edition. They had the base edition, which is not bad at all, but the Collector's Edition adds so much more to the game. You have your apprentices in the game. And again, this is your standard somewhat worker placement action selection game but you're able to charge up your worker placement actions to gain you special abilities. You're putting on different magical performances on the stage. And there's a lot of ways to play with these expansions. And that's what I really like. It adds some mystical elements to it where you can manipulate the deck. You can be able to swap out resources and people in different locations. And again, based with this expansion and the Academy that comes into play, nothing's wasted. It really is a beautiful thematic medium weight Euro game that I think Everyone's going to love because it's got that steampunk Victorian era theme and you don't see it anywhere else. And Mind Clash did a really great job with this game. That's my number 11, Tricarion Collector's Edition. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's definitely up there for me as well. Um, number 11 for me is Star Wars Rebellion. This is, I have a lot of big two-player games up here on my list. Um, and this is one of the best ones because it takes Star Wars and it re-implements it or implements it, I should say, as one big sprawling epic board game experience, which somehow they made work, and it's somehow it's amazing. And we didn't even think we'd ever get a good Star Wars board game, and we got one of the best board games is a Star Wars board game. Um, we haven't gotten to War of the Ring yet on my list, which is kind of the reason that Star Wars Rebellion is a little lower for me. I might even have this higher if it wasn't for War of the Ring. Uh, but... Rebellion is a fantastic implementation of a sprawling, asymmetrical two-player experience, especially with the expansion, which is absolutely needed to bring in the epic battle mode. Uh, So yeah, number 11 for me, Star Wars Rebellion. That's on my list as well. It's an excellent pick. Well, I I mentioned this was going to come up. It's my number 10 game. We're talking about Twilight Imperium 4th Edition. As Anthony mentioned, this is one of those games that you hear legends about you hear that it takes hours if not days to play based upon the player count and you take a look at at the table and it's grand and it's vast and it's just it's a sight to be seen and yet once you're in the game itself it's somewhat it somehow makes sense and it plays so very well and it's so much fun to get to the table and it's so challenging And I I think it's an an enjoyable experience for everyone on board throughout the whole time. There's never a point where you feel like, oh, that's it. Or, ah, this is is just taking forever. You really are completely engaged in this wonderful game. Twilight Imperium 4th Edition, my number 10. Yeah, absolutely. Just one of the all-time greats. Uh, Number 10 for me is technically a new title, but really it's a game that's been on my list the entire time we've been doing this. 
And this is Ultimate Railroads, which is the current way to get all the stuff you need for Russian Railroads to be a fantastic game. Russian Railroads by itself has been on my list for eight years. Ultimate Railroads is all the stuff, all the expansions that they refuse to re-release separately (laughs) all together in one box. Um, So the ideal situation you want is Russian Railroads plus German Railroads. The other expansions are good, but German Railroads is exceptional and adds the most variability and interesting elements to the game. Um, But as a worker placement game with snowballing mechanics that give you tons of points for doing just about everything, the Railroads game and its uh, various expansions is near the top of the list for me. Number 10. Yeah, it makes all the sense in the world. My number nine game is is a game you've already talked about, Anthony. This is First Class. All aboard the Orient Express. Again, I love the games like Shipyard, where you're playing these mechanics that seem what seems somewhat, you know, abstract, but you get to see them actually at the table. Here, you're building up these passenger cars and you're deciding who you're gonna put in there based upon the bonuses that become available to you. So it's an open drafting situation and you're building set collections throughout. But based upon the different modules, you can play slightly different games. It's fun. It's dynamic. Again, it's one of those games that I don't know how they got it into a card version of a great train game, but they did it. And you can actually play the Mystery on the Orient Express as well, which seems to make no sense. This game is out of print, and it's the shame of all shames out there. Please, dear God, bring this back into print because more people need to play it. My friend, first class, all aboard the Orient Express. Fantastic, fantastic game. Absolutely. Uh, Number nine for me uh, came out. We got our copies and we played it maybe like a month before we did our last top 100 two years ago. And it jumped all the way to number 18, like immediately, like after a month. Um, Now it's up to number nine, Lost Ruins of Arnak. And uh, the combination of deck building and worker placement works really well. I have Dune Imperium elsewhere on this list. Um, But this one is the one that really clicked with me the most, partially because of the theme, partially because of how streamlined the mechanics are. Like you're doing, you're really working towards one or two things here with these two decks to work with. Um, And then you add in the Expedition Leaders expansion and the game just got elevated another step. That's why I've even higher on my list now because you have all these asymmetrical powers to work with and a broader, more interesting game base. So number nine for me, Lost Ruins of Arnak, one of the best games of the last few years. Yeah, that's my top, my higher up 50. Great game. My number eight game is my favorite Feld game. And I know it recently got its re-implementation in Hamburg, which is not as good, at least what I hear. I'm still waiting forever to get this game actually to the table, but it does not look as good. Let me start with that. Bruges is about vying for influencing and managing threats throughout this 15th century city. Multi-use cards. You heard me before. I'll say it again. 165 character cards that come into play, all different colors, being able to benefit off them based upon different resources or players they get to play. The expansion makes the game infinitely better. You'll be able to utilize two more different dice face in the game. You need that. You need that to make it a better game. I know it was out of print for a while. I'm glad that it's coming out in a different version. Hopefully it's a good version. But the best version with Michael Menzel's artwork here is Stefan Fell's Bruges, my number eight game. 100% agree on the art. The original yes. art on this is amazing. The new art is very forgettable. So. Yes. <laughs> what? 
I forgot. What? <laughs> yeah, what happened? Uh, number eight for me is a new game. Uh, this was my favorite game of last year, and I continue to play it every week or so at this point, um, solo or with the kids. Uh, just, and, and I'm not alone. It won the Spiel des Jahres, or the Kenner Spiel des Jahres, so it's not like I'm the only person playing this. Cascadia. Uh, this is a, an amazing, accessible, quick, easy-to-play tile placement game, but what really, or not tile placement, drafting game, which you're placing different animals onto these um, uh, locations in your own tableau. But the reason the game is so interesting and so replayable is that you have all these different scoring cards and you create different combinations of them every game, and each scoring card is going to have you do or want to do different things with the animals that you place. So you have to change your strategy every time, and there's dozens of permutations of these. So you're not just playing through and trying to beat your own high score every time. You're dealing with a different setup, Um, and that's just such a cool... It's a simple mechanic, and yet it works so well. Um, it, it helps that this is, you know, Pacific Northwest. It's where I'm from. That's originally what drew my attention to it thematically, but gameplay-wise, just way up there, one of the best of the best. Cascadia, number eight. So wow, new edition, excellent. Yeah, my number seven game is a game you already talked about, Anthony. It's one of the best, if not the best, implementation of an IP ever in a board game, and I honestly. We never thought we'd see it. I did, I think, predict in the future that I guess it came out in a way that we would eventually see Death Stars at the table. Star Wars Rebellion. Again, you get to tell the Star Wars story in your own way. It seems to utilize so much of War of the Ring because you're the rebels trying to hide your base. The Empire is everywhere spreading out searching for you. You get all the different characters in play, but there's a lot of different ways to play it. And again, it creates such a valuable story. The expansion benefits from all of this new dynamic combat system. So definitely pick it up when you play the game because the base game kind of slows down with the, you know, the dice rolls here. But expansion, definitely worth it. I was telling Dave recently, Anthony, I was like, we got this to the table and I'm like, do you have the expansion? He's like, no, I don't have the expansion. I'm like, you should get it. It's perfect for the game. It's essential for the game. He's like, you like every expansion. I'm like, you're not wrong, but it's still essential for the game. So <laughs> check it out with the expansion. It's not bad without the expansion whatsoever. It's still an amazing game regardless. You get all the fun pieces at the table. My number seven, as you said, Anthony, in any other world, this would even be higher. Star Wars Rebellion. Yeah. Yeah. 100% agree. It's. We, we buy a lot of expansions. This is one of the ones where you actually should get it. Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, my number seven is a game you mentioned earlier as well. Uh, Spirit Island. This game is... It's funny because I, I ignored it at first because it's cooperative. And I'm not a huge co-op player. Um, but the, what the selling point for me on this game was there is no alpha gaming. Because it's too hard. You'd have to be some kind of savant, board game savant, to sit there and keep track of everybody's complex situation in front of them because the 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 complexity of the spirits that you're playing is high enough that it requires your full attention to focus on what you are doing you might have somebody else say like can you deal with that situation but that's what you want in a co-op you want a conversation you want guidance you want teamwork but and ultimately you want to be able to take your own actions and do your own thing and that's what makes spirit island so good not only that, but then the dozens and dozens of spirit options to choose from with the base game and expansions. Um, just And it keeps growing. There's more content coming. So Spirit Island is the best heavy co-op game and my favorite co-op game. Number seven. 
Yeah, totally agree. Absolutely. Well, speaking of great co-op games where you can't alpha game, my number six game is Defenders of the Realm. This is way back in 2010. But again, Richard Lanius, which they've utilized his system in so many different <coughs> games since. The great artwork from Larry Elmore. Think about all the D&D stuff you've seen way back in the day that's so iconic. And again, you get to play a role of a classic race character and you are trying to fight back the evil as they're trying to head toward Monarch City, but you get to play your own character in the co-op. You get to collect your own special abilities throughout the game, your special tools and techniques. You get your cards together, you get to the main baddies, and you roll your dice. And it's created some of the most wondrous, fantastical kind of gameplays experience in my board gaming history. I love to play this. It recently got an at least some upgrades. It didn't get a full upgraded version that they talked about, which I was really hoping for, but it got some new pieces that you should definitely check out. Defenders of the Realm, my number six. Not surprised at all. Yeah, that's a, that's <laughs> a great game. <laughs> uh, my number six is a little tiny box that cost $35 when it came out, and everybody looked at it and said, that's kind of ugly, and then they moved on. And I played it, and I immediately fell in love with it, and I've been telling everybody ever since that they should play it, and that's Spirium. Um, this is a game that I still stand by this. I think originally it was just a coal mining game and they're like, let's make it green. And then now it's like a, trying to make it all like, you know, alternate history. Um, but the game itself is fantastic, right? You have this unique bidding me- mechanism with the meeples and the player boards. You have the phases, first and second phase of when you are placing meeples versus picking them up and purchasing tiles. Um, or paid purchasing cards. You have the placement of those cards and the taking of the actions in front of you. Um, all these different things to manage within all the things everybody else is managing. It has the one issue where that final section of the game has the same cards every time. And also the fact that it's a little bit ugly and hasn't been updated in 10 years. But if you fix those with a Kickstarter or something, people will be all about this game. It is fantastic. Spirium, number six. I was wondering when this was going to pop up. Yeah, it's in there. <laughs> <laughs> My number five game would be even higher if it was easier to get to the table. That being said, it's one of the best games of all time from Ares game, War of the Ring, second edition. Again, any edition works, especially the special collector's edition. But War of the Ring, again, playing out this wondrous IP, this story from your own point of view. You don't have to know about the Lord of the Rings to enjoy and love this game. But if you do, there's so much to benefit from this here. Not to mention to make all those choices that you always wish the characters had made. Or again, to utilize your knowledge of the story to make the best possible choices. It's fun. It's fast. It looks daunting, but it's great. It's amazing at the table. It's just a lot of fun. It's worth the time. It's worth the investment. Enjoy this War of the Rings second edition or any other fantastical editions. My number five. More on this one soon. (laughs) uh, My number five is Terraforming Mars, which actually moved up a little on the list this time around, which I was actually surprised by myself. But I was like, no, I have been playing this a lot. Um, it's, It's a funny game. Like, it's kind of ugly to look at. It drags on a little too long. There's too many cards in the deck unless you thin it. Um, but it just has this immense, constantly growing depth where each time you play it, you get something new out of it. Um, you have new versions of the game coming out. You have new uh, 
permutations and expansions and everything else. They just announced today that somebody optioned the film rights to Terraforming Mars because why not? Why not make a movie out of this board game? Um, it, it is my favorite larger board game like this to play solo and has remained so for many, many years. And despite the length and despite the wonkiness, if somebody brings it to the table, I will always sit down and play this. Uh, number five for me, Terraforming Mars. Absolutely agree. My number four is a game that shot up this past year. Again, getting two-player games to the table is tends to be challenging. These days, not so challenging. And again, when you play a two-player game, you want to play something that's meaningful, dynamic, and hopefully really thematic. My number four game for playing with two players is Watergate. It's about hiding or exposing the greatest American political scandal. We're talking about the Nixon administration. It's really what's really fun about this game is it's so tense and tight throughout. And that's really what you want in a two player game. It's a cat and mouse game throughout. It's fun, dynamic, and relatively inexpensive. It's a wonderful game. Definitely, Matthias Kramer did an ex- outstanding job here. My number four, Watergate. Wow. Yeah, that jumped way up there for you. Nice. Uh, number four for me is the best dice worker placement game period in my opinion the voyages of marco polo um this game when i first discovered it i was like oh this is what i want from a euro game right like i i love my big complicated heavy lacertas i love the the sprawling economic games but like for like just immediate a little bit of crunch and a whole lot of satisfaction in taking these actions and having something come together. Marco Polo is like the epitome of that for me. Um, the asymmetry of the different player powers, which again, they, like you said, they break the game, but they also they don't because they all break the game. <laughs> um, the expansion, adding additional locations you can go, making the movement a little more streamlined. I love that mechanic. Uh, just everything about this. It's a game that I keep coming back to. Time and time again, despite, you know, it's been out for 10 years now, and it's still one of my most played Euro games. The Voyages of Marco Polo, absolutely number four on my list. Absolutely agree on that as well. Fantastic game. As you mentioned, there's so many fantastic Lacerda games. There are so many in my list. Again, but for me, the top Lacerda game is Lisboa. This has been one of my favorite games of all time. It's been my number one at a a previous point. It's multi-use cards. It's being able to build up your tableau, gain the special abilities, influence the different markets, thematically rebuild Lipson by utilizing all the different resources that that were able to be recaptured. You're you're building through different generations. It's fun. It's dynamic. A lot of ways to play. Great, fantastic game from Eagle Griffin Games. Vitalicerda, Ian to Lisboa, my number three. Yeah, can't argue with that. Uh, I love this game as well. Um, number three for me is a game that I updated my top 100 list, not for the episode, but just to have it updated not too long ago. Um, and it moved up to number 26 and I was like, oh, it's, you know, that game's moving up and now it's number three. So there you go. This is a game I play a lot. Uh, Marvel champions, the card game. And here's the thing about this. I've always loved this system. The original design by Nate French with Lord of the Rings, the card game, the re-implementation of that for Arkham Horror, the, the living card game. And so it's not like, oh, all of a sudden this card game jumped to number three on my list. I've been playing this system of card games for, you know, almost 10 years now. But this one, for whatever reason, just has clicked in all the right ways. 
right? Getting those new hero packs every couple months, tackling all these different challenges again for the first time, seeing what combinations work well together. I don't even really do any deck building because I don't need to. There's so many different heroes that just have their decks and you just try to find the right permutation. And occasionally you get one where you're like, this deck isn't very good the way they've given it to me. I will tweak it. Um, the The way they've done this, the story expansions as well. So like just going through Mutant Genesis with the X-Men content, going through the Sinister Six content with Spider-Man earlier this year. It gives you something thematic and interesting and fun to play through. And it feels very episodic. It's very comic booky the way they release the content for this. Um, I'm trying to enjoy it as much as I can because it's a fantasy flight game and who knows when they're going to axe it. But for now, Marvel Champions, the card game is my favorite card game and definitely my favorite living card game. So it's not just the game, it's the whole system that kind of sold you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've always had, I feel like I've always had one of these games in my top 10 or 15. Yes, you yeah, absolutely it, have. This is this is the one now. Like I, I love Lord of the Rings. Arkham Horror has fallen way down. I have, I don't really played it Oof. in a while, um, just because the theme. Like once once I got a game I liked more, I was like, well, I can't buy both of these. So I'm just going to keep buying Marvel. I'm not going to buy Arkham. And then once I stopped buying Arkham, I stopped playing it. Um, and I think that's the real key thing too for you because obviously listening to you on the podcast for for close to ten years, those games are amazing, right? The Lord of the yep. Rings, the card, you know, all of these different versions of these games have come out and somehow this is the best. It's it's really, it's impressive. It's an impressive feat. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's really like a matter of what you prefer to. If you're like, I don't like Marvel and I want more story, then you're sure. not going to like this as much, right? I do like Marvel and I the story part of it, like the Arkham the story element is great, but it wasn't capturing me as much. This one is a lot of fun because I get to play through these different comic book scenarios. Fantastic. Um, it's more bite-sized, which is better for my lifestyle anyways. Uh, so yeah, it's, you got one of, they're all in print right now. Pick the one that's best for you. This is the one that's best for me. And it's really good for me. <laughs> Absolutely. My number two game was my number one game of last year. This is another amazing, fantastical, just, it does everything it's Vladimir Succi's Underwater Cities. It recently got an expansion that adds more to the game. But primarily what it comes down to is for me personally, I love Terraforming Mars, but this is the refined version of that. This is a wonderful tableau builder, set collection, card game. You're building a civilization underwater. You have these really cute little pieces. You're building these little you know, biodomes underwater and you're able to place them on the map. The new expansion and the new version of this game gives you that kind of inset board, so you don't have to worry about anything falling or flying off anymore. The cards are great. The art's great. Every dynamic action about building this production, and when you run into the production phase, everything pays out like a slot machine. It's really it's an amazing, fantastical game to get to the table. And it says a lot, especially considering how great Terraforming Mars is, that you know, Underwater Cities is the game that I always turn to, even though I just again love and adore Terraforming Mars. So, Underwater Cities, develop your future cities and enjoy the greatness of, of Vladimir Suchi. <laughs> My number two, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny, like, I, I remember when this one jumped up to your number one last time, I was like, wow, yeah. that was fast. Um, but the fact that it stayed up there is it's amazing because, yeah, know, some of the other ones this, have dropped down. Yeah, we played this so many years ago at uh pax unplugged yeah and it was just like oh no this is good and we were just yeah. like 
we were struggling with the rule book for the first time. Like, no, 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 I, I think we got this. And again, more and more gameplay at the table. I just, just love and adore the game. Yeah. And you know, it was good because we didn't even finish it that first time. And we were like, this is great. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> I, I got home and I ordered a copy from Europe. And I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> um, all right. My number two. Uh, and I think in another situation where COVID had not been between the last time we did this. And now this might've jumped up to number one. Cause I was playing this game a lot sure. and really, really, really enjoying it. Um, but I have not played it as much in recent months just because I haven't had the group to do so. And it is a game that requires the group to do so. You can't play this. You can play it solo, but I don't love it solo. And you need people who want to play this type of game. It's Root. This is Cole Worley's epic game of woodland creatures fighting it out for this forest. Um, it's a, basically a coin game, right? It's a war game with asymmetrical factions, very asymmetrical, all vying for control within this relatively tight space. But it's boiled down. It's made accessible both visually, like cute little creatures. I have stuffed <laughs> animals that I've gotten from the from the Kickstarters for three of them. <clears throat> and it like mechanically, it all really flows smoothly. Um, you know, there's the asymmetry to to deal with up front, but it's not like as asymmetrical as symmetrical as like Leader's first game with Fast, where everything is different like there's a core yeah. rule set like the movement's the same for everybody the combat's the same for everybody and then you have a few other things that are different um and you know now with like the four expansions we have out we have like i think 10 different factions to choose from plus we have the hirelings and all these extra content that's thrown on top of it it's like it it's basically a lifestyle game if this is the type of the game you want to play where each time I sit down, I'm like, I want to play with this faction and I want to play with this faction until I win with this faction and then I'll move on to the next one. Um, and that's what I was doing like back in 2020 before COVID hit. And I was like, man, this game is good. Uh, <laughs> I wish I could find a good group like that again locally. You know, obviously I moved away from Pittsburgh and so I can't play with my, my group from back there anymore um, because this game deserves that kind of attention. It's just that good. Sure. So that's why it's my number two. Now that's it. Again, as you mentioned, Vast was a good game. Vast had that constant stumbling block of you have to know everyone else perfectly in order to be relatively successful in the game. And Root brings in an even more dynamic, challenging system. As you mentioned, the coin games, like you're playing this war game. And it's like, oh, no, like, again, this is not possible. You have the asymmetry, you have the war game. This in no in no universe would should this work. And yet it works. And yet somehow on top of all of that cute, cuddly, soft creatures artwork here should also not work in a war game. And it works. And the different, you know, factions here are also very different from each other. In a meaningful way. They're not just like, oh, cool, this one gets plus one here or plus two here. It's like, no, no, no. They really play different. And you get to see everyone's gameplay. So it's it's it sincerely is just, I don't know, a conflu a miracle of confluences. I, I don't know. Again, it should it should not happen. It should not work. And it does. How? How'd they do that? I don't know. Uh-huh. <laughs> I wish I knew. <laughs> But it's cool, and other people have tried to copy it, including Whirly, and it, I don't know, it's like lightning in a bottle. It is. Well, my number one game, 
is my number one game for so many reasons. And it, it's hard. I mean, I could spend a whole episode just talking about why it's my number one game. I talked about like the quintessential Euro board game, right? It's that crunchy, thinky, making interesting decisions throughout. It's about dynamic gameplay, but it's also about, you know, taking your own path throughout, having that opportunity, that freedom, having that challenge at the table, crunching the numbers, planning moves and moves ahead, and yet at the same time, being challenged by your opponents throughout, not playing some kind of solo game. There was Dominant Species, which was a very good game, but very hard to get to the table and somewhat limiting in some ways. Dominant Species Marine is my number one game of all time, of all the year. All right. (laughs) And again, there are so many reasons for this, right? So we talked about, you and I talked about Dominant Species. The actions that you take here are immediate. You don't have to worry about placing markers out there and then waiting for something to happen. It happens right away. Uh, domination is streamlined in a way that it was not before, so you don't have to have someone count every little section up in order to figure out, you know, who's winning, who's taking, you know, a lead. The animals themselves don't have a default special ability, so it's not like, oh, that person always gets that, or or that race, you know, that particular species always plays out that way. No, there's opportunities to gain special trait cards. And those traits actually give you a unique gameplay experience. There's also additional special pawns and a lot of different gameplays here. It's fun. It's dynamic. It's crunchy as all get out. Uh, One of the greatest board game designers, he just made the great game and then he somehow made it better. Chad Jensen, thank you so much. Dominant Species Marine, my number one game. Wow. that I mean, it's an amazing game. So I'm happy to see it up there. Um it's it's a funny one. Like I was excited for it. I knew it was coming, um, for you know sad reasons, uh, yeah. as well as excitement reasons. And still, when I got to the table, I was like, oh my gosh, right. I haven't actually played Dominant Species that many times because it is hard to get to the table. This game is instantly better for me because it's more accessible and it's quicker and it uses all those modern design elements. Um, I've played it. I've already played this game many more times than I played the original. Yeah, um, for all those reasons, and yeah, and I could definitely see this one jumping up the list. Um, all right, number one for me, no surprise, uh, <laughs> it's the perennial <laughs> contender. Uh, I, you know, I whenever I go to this list now, I'm like, should there be a different number one? Like, I doesn't, it doesn't seem to change. But at the end of the day, this is the game that I, I don't just look forward to playing. I like plan it out, like days or weeks in advance because you do need a little bit of time like you mentioned this when you talked about it It, you can't just throw it bring it to game night right it's too long for that it is only a two-player game so you get a schedule with one other person it takes up a ton of space um but it is so so darn good uh war of the ring second edition is to me the, the best game of all time it's the ultimate gaming experience right uh there's very few games that'll sit down and like I mentioned Twilight Imperium 4 is a game like I'll carve out a day for this. This is the other game I'll carve out a day for, you know, because and the thing about this game is I think I've taught it to more people than most other games. I think I've taught this game to like a dozen different people because anytime someone's like, oh, yeah, I would play that. I'm like, cool, I'll teach it to you. We'll do it. We'll make it happen. Right. And it's a heavy teach because it's asymmetrical. 
have two different factions here to, to play through. The rule book is like 50 pages long. Um, I really only get to play this once or twice a year. So I'm always refreshing a little bit on the rules. And and yet I'm always so excited to do it, right? I like, I love reading rule books, but I don't love reading rule books that much. In this case, I love it. You know, the the ability to play through this complex, you know, mythos created by Tolkien and it's mapped out in a way where you could play it the way it was written, or it's mapped out in a way where you could play it in an entirely different way. And that's so much fun in games like this. Um, the artwork by John Howe is just absolutely beautiful. It jumps off the cover, jumps off the cards. It's so iconic within this space. Um, the Whether you're playing the Fellowship or the, you know, the, the Armies of Mordor, the, the Shadow, it's it feels like you're in this trilogy and you're playing through the contents of it. And one of the big things I liked about the first time I played it like 10 years ago was, Hey, this isn't just like, remember those movies? Look, it's a board game based on that. It's like, no, no, no. We're going back to the, to the books and the, the original, you know, um, representations and kind of visuals and the elements and the map and everything, like everything, you know, and love. If you've read these books and you find these things and the card references, like specific lines from the books, um, you can really immerse yourself in this game, you know, and there's lots of games you can immerse yourself in that don't have the mechanical framework behind them, right? Like you have all these miniatures, you're running around the board and killing stuff. That's not really what the game is. There's a lot of strategy to it. It's a war game mixed with the Euro game mixed with the miniatures, dudes on a map type of game. There's so much going on and it works so well. Like it doesn't seem like it should work and somehow it works perfectly. So that's why War of the Rings stays my number one game it's uh it's if, if another game comes along and makes me think of that many words to describe it um <laughs> maybe it'll jump up on the list but we haven't gotten there yet yeah as you mentioned there's just so many amazing reasons why the game is where it is and and has so many versions and classic versions and still getting expansions and recently got a card game version of it which mm. we'll be checking out at pax so there's a reason why it's there and again people owe themselves the opportunity to play this game, even if you're not a Lord of the Rings fan, because I think this game has much, much more to it, and you don't need to be a Lord of the Rings fan to enjoy it. But if you are, there's so much to get out of it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right, everyone. There it is. Our top 100 games of all time. We gave you our top 50 list, as Anthony mentioned earlier. The full list will be up soon on BoardGamersAnonymous.com. Please check that out. I think you'll love to see that whole list. And for the bottom 50, still the top of the bottom of all games of all time, that'll be on our Patreon account if you'd like to check that out. Patreon.com slash BGA. We really appreciate your support. We're always trying to put up new and interesting episodes and materials up there for you so if you have a suggestion we would love to hear it hopefully this episode was as much fun for you as it was for us we love getting these games to the table and at our 400 episodes we are so glad that each and every week you join us at the table anthony my friend until next time this is chris and this is anthony and we'll save you all a seat at the table take care everyone bye see ya